You may be seated. We thought about making up some kind of theological reason that the lights were off and that you had light from the pulpit and the lectern, but not out there, but we didn't want to lie to you guys, so we didn't. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Pasteurized, homogenized, standardized, this is our world today. When you drove home or drove back from Thanksgiving break, did you stop off one of the uh, exit ramps for food or gas on the way home or the way back? What did you see as you pulled off the exit ramp? I could probably describe it. You probably had off to the right a mobile station on one side with a quick stop store, a uh, uh, mobile or a, a Amoco station with a subway on the other side, a McDonald's mixed in there somewhere, and if you're really lucky, maybe a Cracker Barrel along the way. And you probably stopped and got some food, you know, along with the gas. And, and uh, well, let me ask you, did you get excited when you ate those pancakes from Cracker Barrel? Or that Big Mac from McDonald's? Or did you scarf it down, barely tasting it, which is probably actually a good thing, and then head off again down the road? Well, Jesus Christ is often thrown into our American homogenization, homogenization process. He's made to look like everything and everyone else. Reduced to Oprah-esque spirituality, Dr. Phil-like self-help, he becomes undemanding, comfortable, forgettable, a helper, a buddy. At Christmas time, he's reduced to a cute baby in a clean stable, his nuclear face glowing, lighting up the place. Animals gazing on serenely and happily, Mary and Joseph in there somewhere, none of which actually happened, of course. All this came from the third, fourth century later on. But we like it. Depicting Jesus this way makes him comfortable, manageable. The same scenes on Christmas cards year after year, the same decorations, even the same hymns, and at times we seem to pay as much attention to this kind of Jesus as we do when we walk into McDonald's and don't even need to look up at the menu board because we know we're going to order before we even walk in the door. Christmas comes, we grab a quick bite to eat and then head off on our way without even tasting it. Nothing changes. But Jesus was anything but homogenized. He had what must have been a puzzling, even annoying tendency to not be normal. John the Baptist and his reaction to Jesus is the focus in our text for today. John was apparently expecting the same old Messiah. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect another? Because what you're doing right now, Jesus, doesn't match what I was expecting when I got off at this exit. Even John the Baptist, even the prophet, Elijah, the one sent before the great and terrible day of the Lord, was well, confused. What was John thinking? Was he disillusioned because the promised deliverance didn't come before he got thrown in prison? I'd be pretty upset about that. 
Did he want a flashier, fire and brimstone kind of Messiah? The winnowing fork is in his hand, but the chaff is apparently not being burnt up fast enough. Well, whatever the reason for John's questions, Jesus didn't match his expectations. There you go. Wow. I should have a good line for that, but I don't. I apologize. But Jesus, of course, did not come to do what all the other messiahs were supposed to do. So Jesus takes what you might call a teachable moment. You guys think John the Baptist is some great guy? Well, he is, but not for what you think. Jesus actually seems to take John down a notch or two. It's kind of odd. Who is the greatest? It's, it's kind of not this guy. Who is the greatest? Well, ironically, it's the least. Greatness in the kingdom, according to Jesus, is the opposite of what is considered greatness outside of it. So the greatest are those who serve, as he says in Matthew 20. But above all, when Jesus directly answers the question of who is the greatest in Matthew 18, just a few chapters later, it's a little child. A child who does nothing but take. Takes your food. Takes your time. Takes your money takes your sleep, takes your energy, and offers nothing back in return. These are the least because they can't offer anything. So in the kingdom, the greatest are those who are most a burden. These are the ones you spend your time on. These are the ones you spend your energy on. These are the ones you sacrifice for. Those to whom honor and attention are to be given are the weakest in the world. John, yep, he's a mighty preacher. He's a big out front kind of guy. But the powerful preacher is not the one in the kingdom of heaven who should be receiving attention. Instead of questioning Jesus, John should have been serving him and his people. Instead of worrying about John, the crowd should have been worrying about the suffering in their midst. For in serving the least, the kingdom of heaven is made evident. And so that's where Jesus goes. How do you know the kingdom is here? Look at what I'm doing. It's not what you do with the least. I mean, think about it. What did people of that day do with the blind and the lame? Well, they made them beg. What do you do with lepers? You drive them outside the village and make them live off by themselves. What do you do with the poor? You use them as virtual slaves in your fields. These are the least. Yet these are exactly the ones whom Jesus was spending his time and effort on. Rather than going to the top and taking his faithful along with him as new rulers, he goes to the lowest, to the blind, the lame, the deaf, the poor, and even the dead. You can't get much lower than that <laughs> and lift them up. You want to know what the reign of God is all about? You want to see evidence that it's here? Look around. The least are being served. Look, it's already happening. But Jesus doesn't leave it here with the crowds. In verse 7, he, he turns to these crowds for he wasn't meeting their expectations either. Oh yeah, John was popular. Crowds went out to see him. 
But what did they go out to see? A celebrity? A YouTube video? But had his preaching of repentance and new life accomplished anything? Have you turned from your sins? The crowds, just like their preacher John, were not responding to Jesus properly. The crowd's adulation of John was not enough. Yes, he was the forerunner. Yes, he was the prophet. But it is not, he came to, uh, with his winnowing fork in his hand to offer judgment. But that winnowing fork is not intended for others. That winnowing fork is intended for you. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you listening? Because judgment is at hand. Have we, just like John and the crowds, filtered out what we want from Jesus and his message? Filtered out the kind of Messiah that we want and so missed his coming. And so the question for us, as much as it is for the crowds of Jesus' day, is this. Do you have ears, and have you heard? Or to put it in sort of Advent terms, what will be different on December 26th? Will you be content with visions of sugar plums dancing in your head? Or will you hear the good news of a new kingdom, one that cannot be homogenized or pasteurized, one that is not mind-numbingly like every other message of holiday cheer and peace on earth? No, this message from this Messiah, this Christ, is that in this person, Jesus Christ, comes change. In hearing again his call to repent, in turning to this king, we receive his new life, and we are indeed different. As heirs of his kingdom, we have those filters taken off our eyes and given the ability to see those whom we are called to serve, the least in our day. In anticipation of the full revealing of the kingdom, on the last day. And on the feast on that last day, there will not be some tasteless, homogenized Big Mac. No, only full-bodied Jesus. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.